2: You have the honor of being in Slash's first band. The first time I played with Slash, he had this incredible sound, this incredible feel. We just knew he was superhuman.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the first episode of The First 50 Gigs, an eyewitness account of the origin story of Guns N' Roses, their rise on the Sunset Strip, and the making of Appetite for Destruction. In this first episode, we're going back to the beginning, when Mark and Slash become friends in elementary school and bond over their love of Aerosmith and dirt bikes. As their friendship developed, Slash found his calling with a guitar, and Mark found his with a camera borrowed from a friend and photographer, Jack Liu. Slash invited Mark to a rehearsal of his new band, Titus Sloan, and the journey of the first 50 gigs began. Also on this episode, we have Adam Greenberg, one of the founding members of Titus Sloan and Road Crew. Adam and Slash went to Fairfax High School together, forming the band with Adam on drums, Slash on guitar, and Ronnie Schneider on bass. It was in Adam's garage that the three musicians played covers of Black Sabbath, ACDC, and Aerosmith, eventually adding a singer to what would become Road Crew. Mark Cantor, Welcome to the show. Of
1: course. Love to be here.
0: Adam, welcome and thank you for being with us.
2: Glad to be here. Thanks, guys.
0: Mark, you and Slash, you met in elementary school. You were friends through junior high school. Sometimes you were hanging out together. Other times there was a gap in your friendship. There was a point in time that Slash picked up the guitar. Actually, he was given a broken down one string beat up guitar by Steven Adler and he literally found his calling from that. And around the same time, maybe a little bit later, Jack Lu invites you to cover a show, and you take his camera and shoot a roll of film, and suddenly you had a new calling too.
1: Yes, we became friends back in 1976, and we hung out, rode bikes, whatever, made havoc in the neighborhood. Uh, But then we got separated by junior high school, he he switched schools and I kind of lost touch with him for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And when we met back up, it was, I believe it was the summer of 1981, you know, we found each other and he was, we were catching up on the time we had lost and he told me he's playing guitar now in a rock band. I actually knew Adam Greenberg and he told me he was in the band and so I knew instinctively I knew that this was going to be good. And I believe that day I went with him to his rehearsal that same day and uh, was blown away by what I saw and what I heard. And it, it, it gave me goosebumps. So I, I knew that, that was this was gonna be something special. But at some point, you're right, Jack Lou was taking the photos when we'd go to concerts and Jack wasn't able to make it, gave me his camera, showed me how to work it, and I shot a roll of film and I was blown away by the pictures. So I actually ended up kind of taking my sister's Canon E1 that was sitting in her closet from probably you know high school. She had it, maybe she had a photo class or something like that. The first time I shot shot Slash was at Fairfax High School when Titus Sloan played there June 4th of 1982. And that was a very easy show to shoot because it was daylight. It was, you didn't have to worry about the too dark, you know, wrong color lighting or whatever. The only mistake I made was I brought one roll of film which I shot off in in one one song. I, I really was happy with the results of that too. And that was the end of that. I just started documenting everything they did from that point on. I followed Axel a little bit because I had made friends with him when he was in Hollywood Rose through LA Guns and I met Duff when he was in Road Crew briefly. First time I met Stephen Adler was actually at a Joe Perry concert 1982, the summer of 1982. All I knew is he was a friend of Slash's from high school but had moved to the valley. He didn't show up again until like somewhere in, you know, 1984. To me, it was just like a bunch of my friends playing rock and roll and having fun and doing a good job at it. So. I was happy to document it because, A, I, had, I, I took pride in taking pictures and seeing the results, and B, I was a collector of Aerosmith, and I, and I knew as a collector how important that was to, to grab the ticket or save the flyer because one day somebody might want to know about that. You know, it, 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 It's just kind of like a scrapbook is what I was doing, putting together a scrapbook.
0: But Mark, I think you had lots of friends that were musicians at the time. So what was it about Slash that made you say, I'm gonna spend my time documenting this?
1: Well, Slash was kind of superhuman. He's the type of guy that if you raced him for three houses, he'd beat you by a whole house. He could beat anyone in an arm wrestle, no matter how big they were. And he had a talent for art and bike riding. He was doing things that now you see in X Games, but nobody was doing in 1977, 1978. So he was just superhuman and and just different. You know, he wore moccasins when everyone wore shoes. He just dressed a little different. And so when he picked up the guitar, of course that was gonna be the thing that that made it work. Yeah, there's talented guitar players out there, but not every one of them will give you goosebumps. And, And this one was giving me goosebumps. Slash was eons ahead of everyone else because he was just that talented.
0: And in your mind, you had made a decision that you're gonna document whatever he's doing.
1: Something inside me wanted to do it, and, and, and I didn't miss anything. There's really two reasons to do it. One, I wanted it personally. I just wanted it because I, I I was a fan. Even though he's my friend, I was a fan of what he was doing. And if a show goes on and you don't tape record it, it's gone. I mean, what do you remember from that show a year two years later? It did what, Slash played a party, who cares? I have it on tape because, you know, I could put it in and listen to it at any given time.
0: Collecting was your thing, and photography and recording the shows was just a a means to that end.
1: A photography to me was more of a hobby because I wasn't just photographing Slash, I was photographing rock and roll bands that came through whatever came through our town. So every show after 1982 that I went to, I brought my camera and shot it. So that's including anything that Slash was doing. Even sometimes rehearsals I would shoot. So that, that goes to show you that, why am I shooting the rehearsal if it's not really a show? because I just knew that there's some, just to document it. Something instinctively told me to document what's going on. It didn't matter what band he was in or just was, any one of those bands could have made it one way or the other. It, It was just something I knew I wanted to do on my own, but at the same time, I knew that what I was doing was like someone should have done for Led Zeppelin when they, you know, when they first started. Yeah, I
0: don't think there's any band that had somebody like you and who had the good fortune to have somebody like you who was documenting everything that was done, everything that led up to even the appetite version of Guns N' Roses, um, and somebody who, over time, invested so much in the success of those individual players and in that band. So I think they were very fortunate to have somebody uh, like that um, who had their back and, and who, was, who was documenting them you're listening to the first 50 gigs guns and roses and the making of appetite for destruction featuring adam greenberg drummer for Slash's garage bands titus sloan and road crew the first show that you shot and recorded was titus sloan at fairfax high school
1: can you tell us a little bit about that it was a pretty good crowd there and the crowd knew exactly who they were seeing because these these guys went to fairfax high school so you know, everyone there watching knew why they were there. They weren't just watching the band. Even though they may have never heard the band play, they knew all the members in the band. So that made it more interesting. And, you know, people were really excited to see that. And uh, it, it was, a, there was a lot of energy there. And uh, it was like, I mean, because it was outdoors and it was a big stage, it, to me, it, I know it's gonna sound strange, but it felt like they were playing a stadium for some reason. Long story short, uh, they played like four songs uh metal and metal was a titus sloan original they played a song called what a change which i really like uh they played a song called rat's ass rock and roll and actually there's a riff in there that ended up being in the guitar solo paradise city uh, later on so whatever it was slash remembered it and conjured it back up when it was time he broke a string uh, uh, during the third song and he had to use actually my guitar was a spare it was an Ibanez Les Paul copy. He didn't take me seriously when I said, you need a spare guitar. And sure enough, he broke a string and so he needed it.
0: I think that's a really interesting moment, right? Where where you're there and you're like, Slash, you gotta have backup. And he was probably like, no, 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 I got this. You had the backup and he needed it. But I think that's a really good metaphor for how you supported the band over time. Like you just, you had their back, right? You, you were there prepared for them in case anything happened or they needed anything over time.
1: That's what I did. I I, t- I just did what I could. I, if, if I saw something was not right or something that could be done that could help, I, I, I put the effort in to make sure that that would happen. You know, back in those days that sometimes they would rehearse from like, you know, midnight till two in the morning because that was the cheapest time to get, you know, five bucks an hour rehearsal space or something like that. So you know, I'd go with them sometimes and steal my parents' station wagon and, and, and uh, help them lug the equipment in and out and, you know, come home at three o'clock in the morning to then get up at work at seven or eight in the morning. <laughs> so, but it just had to, get, it had to be done. So, and I was excited to be part of it, to be there, to, to you know, watch a new song develop. Where it, was, it was exciting. So Adam, you were there
0: too uh, on this day at Fairfax High School outside yeah. you were living the dream slash
2: yeah. it was great we were on
0: drugs yeah tell us tell us about this day and then let's talk about how Titus Sloan formed
2: uh that was a great day like Mark said it, it that stage felt so big I guess because it was outdoors and we were a trio so we could really spread out there was a lot of room and you know looking onto the quad and the grass. You could see everybody at school having lunch, hanging out, walking around. People were really enjoying it. And it, it was just, the energy was so great. It was a beautiful day. The sun was out. We just, we powered through it. It was just a, it was, it was great. It was a great day. Actually felt that way the first time I played with Slash and Albert Gazal in my mom's hallway. You know, uh, as a musician, it it works or it doesn't, and it just it just clicked. I knew Slash was was unique. He had this incredible sound, this incredible feel, and this incredible look. So he was the full package back then. We just knew he was. Mark used the word superhuman. I mean, it's 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 pretty accurate. I mean, he he had it. He was special. But that sound he could get, uh, whether it be the Marshall or his Sunamp uh, that he had problems with, I mean, you, you could hear him and you knew it was him. You know, you just knew it. And that, that show was, it was great because it was in front of all our peers, our friends, people we didn't know as well. And you had all these different cliques of people. Uh, you had the punk rockers, the New waivers uh, you had the drama people. You know everybody seemed to like it a lot and uh, the energy was was really great it was really great
0: a lot of other people who were into other genres of music at that time resonated with this playing including like you said the new wave people the the punks and and it seems like slash
2: brought everybody together is that accurate yeah yeah everybody knew um he was special and you know Everybody liked Titus Sloan. I mean, for the most part, you know, we were a cover band with some originals sprinkled in. I believe we were rehearsing two or three times a week. Um, The first time I played with Slash again was in my mom's hallway, and that was with Albert Gazzal. And then we did a few rehearsals with Albert, and then we brought Ronnie Schneider in, and that was it, that was the incarnation. And then we moved from my mom's hallway into her garage and started playing in the garage and slowly we just started as we got more equipment and we needed more room to work on the show we just kind of took over more and more space in the
1: garage i got to say one more thing i noticed i'm looking at these pictures now from that, that fairfax high school gig and nobody realizes this but the shirt slash was wearing was a sh- a, a picture of an orgy on the shirt but nobody could really nobody really knows that unless you get really up close to it but he had a lot of balls to go on stage at his high school Wearing a shirt with an orgy on it. Do you remember that? Wasn't it sumo wrestlers having an orgy? I don't know, but I'm looking at it it now. And there's definitely something going on there.
0: (laughs) You're listening to the first 50 gigs, Guns N' Roses, and the making of Appetite for Destruction. Featuring Adam Greenberg, drummer for Slash's Garage Bands, Titus Sloan, and Road Crew.
2: So uh, let me tell you how Slash and I uh, originally met. I was approached at Fairfax High. I had these two characters come up to me, uh, long hair, sunglasses, and long black coats. They came up to me. I didn't know if they were gonna mug me or not, um, but they said, yeah, we heard you play drums, and uh, you know, what kind of music do you like? And we kind of, you know, we all liked Led Zeppelin, Sabbath, Aerosmith, of course, The Stones, ACDC. Slash and I exchanged phone numbers, and uh, that night we talked on the phone, and we talked for quite a while, and then we realized that we only lived a block apart. Immediately when we realized that, we just said, I'll see you by the alley. So we just hung up the phone. We I walked up the street, he walked down the street, and we just sat down on the curb and we talked for hours. So that was the beginning of, uh, uh, of Titus Sloan. So, so after that Fairfax
0: uh, gig, Titus Sloan went on to play pretty much. It sounds like high school parties, yeah. uh, and, and so you just kind of went from one friend's house to another friend's house. Probably when the parents went out of town, yeah. And it's just you know, jammed and people knew where you guys were playing. But you you kept kind of you know refining your
2: abilities. We kind of found out whose parents weren't going to be home. And then we'd gather, you know across the street from Fairfax at Helen's, which was a little Chinese restaurant, and we'd figure out whose house we were going to go to, so people would go get beer and what have you. And we'd meet there and we'd pick up our equipment and we'd go there and we would just play music and party all day. I mean that's that's what high school was for for most of us. We played some incredible parties. Um, it was crazy, you know, it was just crazy. We took all the furniture from the house and we moved it into the master bedroom. So the rest of the house was completely empty, and just filled with people. You know, I remember at some point looking over my shoulder and the, the whole front lawn was just covered with people. We called them heads, just covered with heads. And there was quite a few house parties, but they were all memorable, you know, all memorable parties, just, just great experiences.
0: And Mark, you, you documented a few of those parties. You were there as well. Uh, Would you consider those house parties, you know, part of the first 50 gigs?
1: Yeah, those parties were fun and they were important and and they they were all stepping stones. And, and, And each party they got better and better.
0: And so eventually there was probably the first real gig that Titus Sloan had, or were you guys road crew at that time?
2: I would say it was uh, Road Crew, uh, New Year's Eve at Curly Joe's studio, right, Mark? Because that was, uh, we headlined with uh, uh, Pyrus, uh, Scheist and Warren, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Those were four bands that, you know, Warrant became a few revolving members and that became the same Warrant that, you know, did the Cherry Pie song, but, uh, and Pyrus became, you know, LA Guns, which, you know, it's still around and Road Crew, somehow ended up being you know part of Guns N' Roses so there you go with that I mean that I I think it was like $2.50 to get into that show it it was that, that yeah that was a good gig
0: and so you guys were road crew at that time Adam what led to the change from Titus Sloan to road crew
2: well I think um ultimately we decided to bring in a singer named Chris That's when we had our set list became almost all originals, and uh, Chris was our first actual vocalist. I mean, it's hard to imagine that we had so much uh, success as a high school party band with no vocals. I mean, it was just covered covers with uh, some originals sprinkled in but Road Crew was more uh, original music and with vocals.
1: You were asking before about the name, Titus Sloan to Road Crew. Basically, Slash just one day decided that Road Crew would be a better name than Titus Sloan, and then they all agreed and they became Road Crew in, in the fall of 83. Came up with a bunch of new originals, working with the vocalists, so, so it, that, that was another stepping stone to getting from the garage to the, you know, to the stage. You can't just be a garage band and play the Troubadour. It's not going to happen. You need a vocalist. So uh, that, that was the next the next step in, into the journey of, of making something happen.
0: I believe soon after that gig, road crews started to kind of fray or break up. What was happening around that time going into 1984?
2: Well, um, Ronnie was interested in... Uh, in doing more heavy metal. Always had an inkling for that. And uh, we were listening to harder bands like Motorhead. Um, we were becoming influenced by that. Things just kind of started to fray a little bit. Um, and then Steven Adler came into the picture. Adam, you mentioned that the direction of the band was
0: starting to change, that Ronnie had some heavy metal influence that he wanted to bring in. Um, maybe Chris Torres was bringing in something that he wanted to do, but who was really kind of setting the direction of the band at that time?
2: I would say Slash and Ronnie were were doing um, the the first set of woodshedding, you know, uh, writing and arranging the songs, and then they would uh, they would bring them in uh, to me and uh, allow me to you know set drums to it. I can't remember. If Chris was also doing lyrics, I have a feeling that um, Slash and Ronnie were doing lyrics too, but I don't quite remember.
1: Actually, as far as the lyrics go, uh, Chris was writing the lyrics, but there was some things, something, some parts that Slash wanted to add in, and I don't. Re- Ronnie might have had some input on that too. But as far as the direction of the band, I, I think what happened was at that New Year's Eve party, Steven showed Stephen Adler showed up. And he was freaking out. I'm take, trying to take pictures and he's pointing his finger right at, at Slash, like one inch away from where Slash is picking. Look how fast his fingers are moving. Shortly after that, Stephen somehow wanted to show Slash how good he got on his double bass drums. And, and somehow Stephen convinced Slash to somehow change the direction of where he was, how he was heading. There was no issues with Adam adam was great at what he was doing but i think slash wanted really wanted to incorporate those double bass drums and i think ronnie had it's not like ronnie wanted adam out either but i think that even fit you know like ronnie probably had a grin on his face now we get to have speed metal you know i I don't know what was going on exactly but that's that's from what i can remember from my perspective of it that's what i saw happening and then so ronnie was in the band with, with Steven and Slash, and uh, and just about that same time that that happened, Chris was out. There was a double switch. Adam and Chris were both out within a week apart somehow, maybe two weeks apart, and then it was just Ronnie, uh, Slash, and, and, and Steven.
0: So Adam, you know, it sounds like, you know, Ronnie wanted to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Steven and Slash, as you know, they had a friendship this whole time, long before before this moment that Stephen invited him to to listen to his playing. But nevertheless, you got bumped out of Road Crew uh, by Stephen, which probably felt really, really personal at the time. But the way that Mark's describing it, it was really about this desire to change the sound of the music.
2: I had met Stephen earlier on. um, And then, yeah, he came back around for the uh, New Year's Eve show, and uh, after that, he was around quite a bit. Um, and Stephen and I were—we became more friendly. Uh, he would come to my house, and you know, you know, he would play a song for me. I'd play a song for him. We'd take turns playing in front of each other, trading, you know, fills and whatever. So all that was kind of going on right after that Curly Joe's uh, New Year's Eve party. Um, And Stephen got this massive drum set. It was a Tama drum set, double bass, lots of toms, lots of cymbals. And he was really getting into uh, uh, double bass. And at that time, Motley Crue was pretty big. He was doing the Cozy Powell thing, the Tommy Lee thing. He was really a good double bass drummer. Um, He was a good drummer anyway, but he had the double bass thing going on. My background on drumming is a little different than his. He kind of grew into that metal thing. And I think that that was a big draw for Ronnie and Steven. They kind of approached Slash and said, you know, let's give this a try. We were driving up to uh, school, to Fairfax High, and I saw Ronnie walking up uh, Fairfax. So I said to Sean, I said, hey, there's Ronnie. Let me out. I'll walk the rest of the way. So I got out of the car. I said, hey, Ronnie, you know, and Ronnie like jumped up. He's like. I'm sorry man it wasn't my decision I didn't know it. you know and he was just totally frantic and panicked and apologetic and I'm like what are you talking about well and he's like oh you didn't know and I'm like no so the burden was on him uh, to tell me and it, it you know it was emotional you know it was hard cuz we were friends um, never feels good but that's you know A lot of bands, you know, it's revolving doors of musicians until you find that correct, you know, mix, that recipe, or not. You know, fortunately, this evolved into what would ultimately become Guns N' Roses. So it was everything happened for a reason. And then I remember that night, um, Slash had called me up and he was very somber and, and it was a very bittersweet conversation and he was very apologetic, and I knew he felt bad, and I just, I didn't have words, and it, it was an awkward conversation between a couple of good friends and musicians that played together, but, um, you know, thank God it happened, you know, because we got, you know, Guns N' Roses, so it's it's all good.
0: Well, but you have the honor of being in Slash's first band, <laughs> yes. so that's pretty, that's pretty cool.
2: And second, and second band, Titus so Sloan and Road Crew, yeah.
0: <laughs> You're listening to the first fifty gigs, Guns N' Roses, and the Making of Appetite for Destruction, featuring Adam Greenberg, drummer for Slash's garage bands, Titus Sloan and Road Crew.
1: So after that New Year's Eve gig at at Curly Joe's Studio, Road Crew kind of finds itself it's it struggling because uh even though Steven is now in and Adam is now out and they have these double bass drums, it doesn't seem to fit because the singer Chris left and then Ronnie left, you know, seemed seems like a week or two into it uh, to join some heavy metal band and Steven and Slash find themselves roaming around Hollywood looking for either musicians to put in their band or to find a band that they could both join. They heard about this band called Rose that has this, really good singer and, and a, a good guitar player. And they were going to have a gig at, uh, like a showcase gig for Battle of the Bands at Cazari's. At, at what we saw that night was Axel, Izzy, Chris Weber, Andre Trucks, who's a guy I actually went to school with, and the drummer was Johnny Kreiss or, Kreis or something like that. There was a lot of energy, and, and Izzy was running around back and forth, and Axel was just vibrating and you know, just giving you a hundred and eighty percent. And it was, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty impressive. When Slash and Steven saw Izzy and Axel, it only confirmed what they already knew. They had gotten a hold of a, brose demo tape. So we actually all listened to it before we went to that gig. And then when we went to see them, it, it that just now not only could, did they sound good, uh, they could perform well. They had stage presence and, and so Something had to be done, whether Axel and Izzy was going to join Steven and Slash in Broad and, and road crew, or was it going to go the other way around.
0: Right, but at that time, Axel and Izzy didn't know Steven and Slash, did they?
1: Izzy had a moment with Slash, at, where came into a guitar shop that Slash was working at, looking to get a hold of an Aerosmith drawing that he had drew, drew for me you know, a couple of years back. So they actually met not even knowing, you know, you know, Izzy was there for a means to an end to get that Aerosmith drawing and and had no idea that Slash even played guitar. So, you know, there was, there was a a small little bit of history there that sparked that might've just been, Oh yeah, I know this guy, that kind of a thing.
0: All right, great. Well, we're going to pick this up in another episode and talk about the moment that Slash and Steven joined Axel in the new Hollywood Rose but that'll be for another day. Adam, we wanna thank you so much for for joining the show and giving us the background of your friendship and your partnership in music with Slash and talking about the early days with Titus Sloan and Road Crew. It's pretty special.
2: Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Mark. It was a lot of fun. And Mark, as always, thank you. We love your stories
0: and we can't wait to hear more.
1: Many more stories to come.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The First 50 Gigs, Guns N' Roses, and the Making of Appetite for Destruction. To get the entire series, access bonus content and merchandise, visit us at first50gigs.com and subscribe.